dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Much has been said today about the need for leaders to be strong. But usually, the way we look at strength is in models that aren't necessarily successful in every kind of struggle. One hidden kind of strength is the strength that our Lord and St. Joseph showed us, resiliency. I'd like to take a look in this next talk at how St. Joseph shows us the value of resiliency and how we can apply it in our own lives. Good evening, everybody. I'm just so glad to be with you again. My name is Father Nathan, and I'm here to talk to you about St. Joseph and what he shows us about leadership. It's a surprising topic because a lot of us don't think that the Bible necessarily has a lot to do with what we do in the world of business or what we do in our professional lives, but it's just the contrary. God's word is ever new and it pierces to the heart and its wisdom is especially for those who are called to leadership because every Christian has been baptized into Christ the King. And being baptized into Christ the King, we have our role to play in his ruling of the world. It's the unique role of the Catholic, the Christian leader. I'd like to explore it with you today, looking especially at St. Joseph and what he has to show us. But I'd like to begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, you know, so many of us get involved in our professions, in our places of leadership, in the arts, in sciences, in knowledge, in learning. Uh, the different places where excellence is called for, we actually respond. And you find leadership being called for in all kinds of walks of life, from the, the soccer coach who actually tries to win with his team to the soccer captain who, who tries to bring his team to victory to, to the, the classroom which, uh, and teacher who tries to do her job in the very best of ways, the nurse, the physician. Our world pushes us to give the best of ourselves and it's a wonderful and laudable part of our American culture in particular to celebrate that kind of victory, to want that to format our cultural expressions, to look for that victory. And so many of us find that there they, they are excellent, but it's hard to take that excellence and say, how does that apply with my spirituality? 
especially if our spirituality is one that emphasizes humility, mercy, and forgiveness. And, and rightfully so, right? Because a lot of us are in need of that. We've lived through things that are very hard. We've experienced failures in many different ways. We've, we, we've looked at our family lives and while we could be out doing brain surgery on patients for six hours or 15 hours in the course of a day, we can't figure out how to get along well with our eldest son or our, how to pay attention enough to our, our wives or our spouse in order to bring them the comfort and the attention that they need. We can succeed at, at making incredible investments in the bank and monitoring that stock account, but we're an utter failure at how to deal with, you know, fighting and bickering amongst our children. And since God and spirituality emphasizes the family, well, that leaves us feeling like a big failure. And we have this strange dichotomy going on inside of us that on the one hand, we believe in our success and we're being coached in our success and we're cultivating our success in many ways. And then on the other hand, when it comes to spirituality, we're just left to admit that we didn't quite cut it and that we weren't good enough. And so what's our natural response? Well, wherever it is that we feel like we fail, our natural response is to withdraw. And you can see this happening in two different ways, right? You've got the withdrawers who are kind of like angry. And so they, they, they attack religion and they kind of redefine it, right? Like, who is God to tell me that I'm supposed to have a family? I'm not going to, right? And it's like, and I found peace the moment it was that I declared myself to be God, right? So it's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, I'm over-exaggerating, right? But like, you get what I'm saying. Like, we can just deny God's word and deny his teaching and just redefine it. Kind of like, well, that's what these religious people say. That's what Catholics say. That's what the Bible says. But you know what? Like, I'm just in disagreement with that. I, I can talk about those folks at a different time. What I want to reach out to now is the other side of that same type of disillusionment and, and feeling of failure. And it's not those who lash out and redefine a world that they never made to begin with, but it's instead those of you listening who are, who are quitting. In other words, there's another way around it, and that's just to say, I'm just going to silently withdraw. It's not that religion is wrong, it's that I'm wrong. And if, if I'm wrong, well, then I'm just going to admit it and pull back and not engage. And so I no longer really go into my faith. I, I haven't read the Bible in years. I don't go to confession anymore. And it's not because I don't think that, that God is right, it's that I'm convinced that he is and that I'm wrong. And my friends, that is another way of skirting the beauty of what God has in store for you, which is actually that his call is not for those who conquer in, in, in invincible victory, victory after victory. His call is for the lost sheep. And that means that his call is for your excellence still. Don't allow your excellence and your greatness as a leader and your dedication to actually put you on the sideline of the mission that God has in store for you by saying to yourself, I just don't know how to bridge it. In other words, like I have that excellence, but I don't know how to put it at the service of the gospel because the gospel's not for me. I'm not good enough for that call. All I'm going to do is keep going back to where I know I can master things, the marketplace, the office. I know where I can be good at things, in investments or in the arts. I'm not going to put myself where I constantly fail. 
and then my inner relationship with others, or even in my inner relationship with my own self, my own life. I'm constantly stuck in habits that are putting me into defeat. How do I make that bridge? I want to say to you that that bridge is precisely what the message of Jesus Christ is all about. So many times we've, we've labeled Christianity because the preachers of Christianity have admittedly put it on such a pedestal that we've made it for only the mighty to attain. And if you didn't come from the perfect background or you haven't lived the perfect life, then you just admit that you failed. And if you fail, I mean, who wants to admit that, right? And I'll just say that that's kind of getting it wrong. It's only taking half of the message. The truth about the beauty of Christianity is that it begins where you fail. It begins where you fall short. It begins where you say, I can't do it because that's where the Savior enters into your life. Don't be putting Christ on the other side of a perfection that you're supposed to gain in order to get him. Christ is the perfection that he wants to give to you when he gives you himself. And when he gives you himself, he summons leadership. I want to look at how St. Joseph lived that out and how he embodied it in his own life in this one particular facet of his life where he was called to be resilient. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Let's take a look at the resiliency of St. Joseph, right? So he is a model of leadership because God asked him to lead the Holy Family. Now again, like what an incredible life he must have lived. I mean, his wife was the most perfect person who ever walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ himself. And then his son, of course, was God himself. Like, what an amazing heart he must have had to say yes to the plan of God for his life. What an amazing uh, ability to, to, to go for the heights, not in a sense of something that he would achieve, but in the sense of fulfilling God's will for him and accepting this incredible mission that was infinitely beyond what he could attain, what he could live. And yet he said, yes, he entered into the mystery of God's call for him. I want you to enter into that mystery too. To not sit back anymore and say that God's call is too great. I'm just a humble person. I'm just a humble worker. If you were really humble, then you would accept the truth. The truth that God is summoning you to give the very best of yourselves to the greatest of all missions. Your family, your relationships, the sanctification of the little corner of the world that he's entrusted to you. Like a mechanic, you know, spends his life underneath cars and spends his life in garage shops with rough individuals. Well, okay. You sanctify those rough individuals and you sanctify that place by the upstanding nature of your life and the character with which you approach the workplace. I remember talking to a fellow who had a huge impact and his work crew, everybody in the crew that was underneath him, all, he was a foreman for a, a construction crew, and they all looked up to him. And he, he told me one day, he said, you know, I feel like I'm the psychologist and the chaplain for my group. And I said, what's your secret? How, do you, how did you get them to pay attention to you? And he said, simply said this. He said, I do two things. I always wear clean clothes to work in the morning, 
and I don't cuss. And I'm, I tell you, it's a true story because you'd think, oh my gosh, there must be something bigger. No, this guy was an incredible leader who did a lot of good and helped his workers in many ways. And his doorway into their heart was simple. Wear clean clothes and don't cuss. That's what I mean about claiming that corner of the world. That's what I mean by sanctification. It's not about the heraldry of a general going into battle. It's about the character of a man who has claimed Christ at the center of his life. The character of a woman who has allowed Christ to claim her soul for goodness and who fights that deepest of battles, the battles to claim character. This was what St. Joseph shows before us. What, was, what did he do? He was a tecton in Greek. He was a carpenter, but a special type of carpenter. The type of carpenters that make roofs and roofing um, the, 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 the supports that go underneath the roof. He was a humble person who knew the hard trade, not of making fine cabinets, but of building houses. And so he was humble by trade. And yet, hidden in the eyes of many, God forged a character in him. Well, we find in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 18, as that, that character was formed with great opposition. Now, listen to this. Verse 13, Matthew 2, 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years of old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. It's in a chilling part of the story, the life of Joseph. And first thing that it cures in our hearts is the thought that, gosh, if I only followed God, everything would just be easy in my life. <laughs> how many of us feel that way? You know, how easy it would be to preach that gospel. If you follow God, if you become the father, foster father, right, of Jesus Christ and the, the spouse of the Virgin Mary, then everything's going to be great for you. God's going to protect you and nothing bad will harm you. Here, Joseph gets harmed. Now, his physically, he's saved by the message of an angel, but he's given hardship of a huge degree. In the middle of the night, the Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. He had to disrupt all of his plans. He had to disrupt all that he had been planning on doing, go into great discomfort, and in the middle of the night, flee. Flee till when? Well, it says, until the angel would tell them to come back again. He departed and remained there in Egypt. And, and th there's this incredible like story to be told here about aggression from the outside. There's aggressions from the inside, our bad habits, 
our loss of focus, our own demons that haunt us. Joseph didn't seem to have many of those. A man of integrity and of honor, he seemed to be of uncommon virtue. And that didn't preserve him, however, from the attacks of the outside. Evil had a way of attacking and especially attacking the good. What about all the other people that were out there? How were they attacked by evil? Who knows? But we know that the Holy Family was targeted by the ruler with death. And how does Joseph respond? You know, I mean, for so many of us, we feel the same way. It's not so much death by rulers that happens, but, but the exterior persecutions that can come our way for doing something as simple as living out our faith. What will people say, for example, if I say grace before my meals, if I bow my head and fold my hands and, heaven forbid, make the sign of the cross before I eat? What will they think, you know? I'd like to say, maybe they'll think that you're a Christian. Maybe that, <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy, but you know, what will they think if I wear a crucifix on the outside of my clothes or say a prayer at, at, at the beginning of things? I mean, obviously I'm not saying that we have to force our religion down people's throats. I mean, there's a fair and balanced way to live in our society. But I am saying that there's many ways where we are afraid of that, that threat that can come to us from the outside. And I don't think it's necessarily an unnatural thing to be afraid. But at the same time, I will say that it's a part of a leader to face that fear. Why? Because I've been sent into this mission field, into this position in my life, with a mission that's been entrusted to me by God, and I'm there as his servant. And so, although I, I, I rarely would have to you know, make any kind of confrontation. At the same time, on a daily basis, I have to ask myself, am I running from the threats that are around me? And, and, and what do I do in situations where I can't seem to change it? In many face cases, I'm called to face the threat that's in front of me. I am. But in some cases, I can't remove that threat. It's just too big. There are forces around me that will crush the smallest, and I can't afford the, 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 the price that that could bring to my life, to my career, to my job, then what do I do? Well, St. Joseph shows us, on the one hand, how to face imminent threats, and on the other hand, how to endure by being resilient. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Resiliency. Resiliency is a, it, it's a quality of something that's under stress. It's the ability to bend but not break. And to the one that lasts the longest, the victory indeed falls. The resilient person, like if you think of it in terms of great movies, you know, my, my favorites, of course, Rocky, the whole Rocky series. I, I personally find them great. And the reason I find them great is because it shows us that resiliency. There's a scene in Rocky 1, for example, and it's the scene that Sylvester Stallone later said was the most important scene in the whole movie. And they wanted to cut it out of the, out of the movie. They said they didn't have time to film it. And so they gave him one shot at it. They said, you can do this one time. And it's the scene where he's laying in his bed before the night before his big fight with Apollo Creed. And Adrienne is laying there with him. And, and he says, you know, 
I don't want to, I don't have to win. I don't have to defeat Creed. I just want to go the distance. And for Stallone, who, who wrote the, the whole movie and then directed it and won best film within 1976, Stallone said that that scene is the heart of what he was trying to portray in his whole character of Rocky. It's this guy, in other words, who goes into the battle and he's saying to himself that the point of this is that I outlast my oppo opponent. The point, the point to this is that the spirit of the fight in me becomes so big that even if I lose, I win if I last as long as him. It's an unsung common trait here to heroes. It's not just the guy who walks into the park and swings the bat for the first time, knocks a home run. He's going to be a hero, but there's another type of hero. It's the resilient. It's the soul that says, I will carry through this threat, this difficulty, and I will not break. I don't know what will happen in the end, but I know that I will have risen on the inside to meet the challenge that is in front of me. And I might not have a successful issuance from this challenge. I might not come out of this a conqueror in the eyes of the world, but I will come out of this intact. Resiliency is a common character of, of people with virtues. It's the character of kings. It's the ability to endure under that stress. And here I see our Lord God, God giving Joseph the, a cross that is uncommon. It would be easier if he said to him, you know, rise, Herod's going to try to kill the child, just make it through the next couple of days, and then after that I'll get you out of this in a, in a jiffy. You know? But instead, no, he puts him into Egypt and he makes him wait there all the way until Herod dies. And we don't know exactly how long that was, but it was a long stretch of time. Joseph is now out of his normal settings. He's lost his contacts. He doesn't have his business to support him anymore. What is he doing in Egypt? Especially when he never intended on going there. Now, scholars will tell us that there was a community of, of Jews that were living in Egypt at that time and that most likely Joseph would have gone to that colony of Jews. Well, that's fine and dandy, but what, what about paying the bills? You know, I oftentimes think of this thing. Maybe Joseph had a little dog back home. What, what happened to him? He left him up there in, in, in Nazareth, you know, and then next thing you know, he's in Bethlehem, and now he's in Egypt, and who's going to feed the dog? You know, so there's all kinds of little jokes you could make about that, but the fact is his suffering was real, and then his suffering internally. If you look at verses 16 and 17, as he goes through that village knowing that his child is being saved and his wife is being spared and everybody else's is going to die for Herod has determined to kill the child. And in fact, that's what Herod does. And Joseph has to carry inside of himself this oppression of a man trying to kill him and looking to kill him and looking for him from the, on the outside, looking for his son and his job is to protect him by enduring. God doesn't allow him the quick fix. God asks him to carry this. I'm thinking of the different stressors in your lives as the fathers and mothers whose children are going through divorce, whose grandchildren are suffering in various ways, the people with, who have been given long and terminal illnesses to deal with and confront, and you wish there was a quick fix. What is God looking at? and What is he looking for? I think he's looking for a quality inside that only stressors given over a long time can give to a person. 
the quality of resiliency. I have endured great combat at long lengths for the one that I've loved. Where do we see this in our Lord but when he carries his cross? Now, blessed is the person who's been given this cross to carry, the cross of long-suffering. Because in many ways, you're one with Jesus, who himself had to carry his cross before dying upon it. He went through not just the crucifixion, but the agony in the garden, the betrayal, the judgment, the false condemnation, the apostasy of his people, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the buffeting by the soldiers, then having been charged with his cross was forced to carry it through the streets amidst the rejection of people, according to tradition, falling three times and yet rising each time. The long-suffering of Christ. He doesn't want us to miss that ability to look at our God as Christ, the suffering servant, looked at him and to say, not only did I give you the sufferings of my death, but I gave you the sufferings of carrying the cross all the way to Calvary. Why? For the, the very fact that by so doing, we carry the burdens of all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world who feel alone and abandoned by God in the midst of their trials and their pressures. We redeem this world with him. This is where true leadership is shown. It's not in the short fixes of the glorious uh, uh, battles. It's not in the, the, the triumphs. It's in the fact that we don't quit. That whatever's put our way is met with the grace of a God who says you are bigger than that combat. You wage the long-suffering battle because though on the outside things can happen to take away your glory, no one can take away the glory of a, of a heart that refused to break, of a soul that refused to quit. The real struggle of leadership is shown in that constancy of soul that says, I will cling to what is right and what is good and I will not let go. I know that I am not defined by what is around me, but that I define the what is around me by what is within me, my freedom. And like Joseph, I carry on through the struggles and I carry on for the sake of Christ who has asked me to lead even when it is difficult. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.